Hi, I'm Sylvain Berthelot, and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. Today, my guest is Emily Hu, and we'll talk about ADHD. Hi, Emily. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, share about ADHD today. Uh, as I'm sure you know, we always start by a song. So what is the song that you've selected and why? So my song is Greatest by Sia. I've always liked Sia as an artist, but I feel like this song is, um, to me, has always like, spoken to me. It's a very positive and encouraging song. And I find that if I'm about to do any type of like task or if there's anything important I want to like, you know, get done, I like to play this song and like listen to the lyrics to encourage myself. Okay, nice. Uh, why do you like her as an artist in general? I think she's very creative. I think she's a good voice. And in general, I've always found her lyrics to be um, very like emotional and powerful. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a good Sia song for like my many moods. Okay, that's a very good reason. Uh, so we're talking about ADHD. I'll start with a question that hopefully you can answer, but I don't know actually if, if that's something you you know for sure. Like when did you um, realize that you had ADHD or when were you diagnosed with it? Um, so I guess at multiple points. I was diagnosed in my mid-20s, but I didn't think much of it. Um, you know, reason being is, I have immigrant parents who are Asian Mm -hmm. and they don't quote unquote believe in clinical psychology. They don't believe in mental illness. They think there's no such thing as these things. So, you know, they've always told me that there's no such thing as ADHD. You're just, anyone who has it is just either stupid or lazy. So when in my twenties, when I was having a lot of attention span difficulties, my doctor told me I probably had ADHD and I thought, Oh, you know, um, I probably don't because those people are just lazy or stupid. And then, you know, the the problems I had just kept persisting and multiple doctors kept telling me, you probably have ADHD. And then I went to a a psychiatrist, I believe. And then I got a diagnosis around then. Did the diagnosis help? How did you feel when you had the diagnosis? Not really, because at this point I had had all of these symptoms my entire life mm-hmm. and it had been speculated for two decades at ADHD, but it was just mostly my culture, my upbringing and my family telling me that I didn't. So then I just figured I didn't, but whether or not I had it or didn't have it, my life was the same and I had always had the symptoms. So even today, if you were to tell me, no, you don't have ADHD. I don't think that would change anything because my life would still be the same. I would still have all these you know, attention. Um, I, would, I would still have the same difficulties I've always had. Yeah. Do you have any feel for why your your parents described it as lazy? Uh, I think for a lot of people, the symptoms of ADHD manifest that way, myself included. You know, like people with ADHD, if you like something, you like it a lot, you're good at it, you put effort into it. If you don't like something, you're terrible at it, even if it's something simple. So, you know, like for myself, one of my ADHD quirks is that if there's something incredibly simple, like a simple task at work, 
If I find it boring, I'm, I'm terrible at it, even when it's something very straightforward like data entry. So I can't do boring, easy things very well. But things that are interesting and difficult, I'm better at. So when I mess up the boring, simple things, you know, when I was a kid and I do that, my parents would always tell me that I was stupid or I was lazy. And that was the only way these, that was the only reason this stuff could happen. Well, that's interesting. When you look at any educational system, it's, it's focused on the standardization of expected results. Uh, I mean, there's been progress in that area, but I still see it nowadays. So uh, I'm sure that uh, the way things are taught don't necessarily make it interesting all the time. So I, I assume that could lead to uh, not necessarily the best results at school. Right. I mean, I did. I was clever enough that for a lot of classes, I... I got really good marks without having to do anything. Okay. But for other classes that required like paying attention and effort, you know, I just, I did just okay. And because I wasn't very interested. Mm -hmm. So how would you, you then describe ADHD and how uh, it affects you? I think for people with ADHD, it's this constant process of dopamine seeking. So we're just always looking for entertainment or excitement. And once we find that, we can't control where our attention goes. So if there's entertainment or excitement, then there, all of our attention goes there. In the lack of it, you, you can't attain our attention at all. And is it something that changes over time? So, or is it always the same things that where, where you, you're not interested, so you're not going to be having an attention for it? For me, the nature of it's the same all the time. But what you know, what grabs my attention or what feels like a s excitement changes all the time. So does that mean then that there is not one constant in your life of something that you really enjoy and that grabs your attention? By and large, yes. Okay. So you, you've spent a lot of time doing uh, weightlifting. Yes. And... Is it something you still do now, or is that something that you don't do anymore? It is, but to a much lesser degree and with much less enthusiasm. So interestingly enough, I think I've been competing in powerlifting for a decade. This is the longest I've stuck with anything. This is the longest I've enjoyed anything. But, you know, I would say I don't like it the way I used to. The first, the first five years were incredibly, like, dopaminergic, and then now it's not so much. Now I... I primarily go out of habit or because it's it's good for me or, you know, because I have friends at the gym or I just, I make myself go. But mm -hmm. I don't have the excitement or the rush I did in the early days. You you competed at quite high level, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. I had um, three all-time world records and I was a world champion a few times. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so that's really high level then. Uh, do you... I don't like making assumptions, so uh, don't take it as an assumption. But do you think ADHD, uh, in a way, helped achieving uh, this high level, or does it have nothing to do with it? Yeah, I think so. Because when I first discovered powerlifting, it was so fun that I was like immediately obsessed with it. And I devoted most of my free time and resources after work to learning about the sport and getting good at it. So I think... You know, the fact that I became so obsessed with it and got so into it that working hard didn't feel terrible 
I was very motivated to work hard in this. And I think that propelled me to, you know, some very good early success. Wow, that's amazing. And so then does having something that you really enjoy doing like this make any of the other tasks that you don't enjoy better or does it not? It depends. It makes other tasks bearable. I mean, I think with powerlifting, I just like the weightlifting part. I don't like everything that comes with the sport, such as like the warming up or the auxiliary exercises or the dieting. But since I liked the whole experience of the sport so much, I was willing to not only put up with it, but, you know, do a complete job of a lot of the other tasks I hated. Okay. Um, so going back to what you described uh, about ADHD and those tasks like data entry that could be like very boring for you, how do you manage uh, at work, considering that I assume not everything you do at work is um, excites you or gets your attention? Yeah, work has always been very difficult for me. I found that, you know, in my 20s, I had a lot of difficulties doing a good job at work. I make, you know, a lot of work is not interesting. Like meetings are boring. There's a lot of administrative work that's very boring. And I found that I would make a lot of careless mistakes all the time. And there were certain jobs I was just terrible at. Jobs that involved a lot of meetings, I would kind of space out during the meetings. So I switched jobs a lot in my 20s because I was trying to find a job that with the ADHD did not feel miserable. And most most low-level office jobs did. How about your current work situation? What do you so do? now I currently work in clinical research. And I think a lot of that just happened through patience and brute force because my first couple of years in clinical research, I was, you know, doing an entry level job and that requires a lot of attention span. You're looking at um, medical data for like for entry errors or inconsistencies. And I was not good at that, but now I'm at a position where, you know, I do have a team that helps me and they help me pick up the mistakes that I might miss. So, um, you know, I have somebody who did the attention work that I used to do and mm-hmm. that I did poorly like 10 years ago. And it really helps to have people who have a better attention span than me, like helping me do the job. Well, that's incredible. Do they know that you have ADHD? No. No? Do you think it's something that they should know or, or not? No, because I, you know, I think anytime you talk about a medical condition, you risk discrimination at the workplace. Even though it's illegal, you know, it's it can still happen. That's interesting. I've... I've heard a completely different point of view, actually, where um, people have been willing to share at work so that people not necessarily understand them better, but are aware of, of the condition in a way. Mm. And so how do you feel about them discovering about it, maybe through this podcast then? I mean, I think if they discover it, it's fine, but it's it's not something I'm going to volunteer because... You know, I've definitely heard of cases where people volunteer, they have ADHD or they have, they have some learning disability, perhaps. And then most of the coworkers just find it to be an excuse to be poor at your job. Okay. Well, that's not, not at all a good way of looking at it, obviously. You, you said you had your uh, diagnosis, did you say, in your early 20s? No, well, I had a formal diagnosis. That was in my 30s. Before that, it was just informal diagnosis from from doctors. 
Uh, okay. How difficult was it to get a diagnosis? Very, very difficult. For me, depending on which insurance I had, usually my primary care doctor had to agree. And then they had to submit me for more robust testing. And then the first therapist had to agree and then submit me for more testing. And in many cases, I had people who just didn't agree. And, you know, my first doctor didn't agree because she said, you've done, you, you graduated your undergraduate in four years and you got your master's in on time and you, you've watched a movie. So if you can do all these things, you don't have ADHD. You know, she said, if you can watch a movie, you don't have ADHD. If you can do anything on time, you don't have ADHD. If you can be successful in life, you don't have ADHD. And, you know, she was Asian too. So she clearly was of the mindset that anyone who had ADHD was like, had to be a complete loser to have ADHD. Wow. Well, you've proved her wrong by being very successful. <laughs> <laughs> But how did you move from that to then getting a diagnosis? Like so how, how, how did that become... not stop you in your process? Yeah, I eventually switched doctors for other reasons. And then, you know, it became, the ADHD became such a problem. Maybe like later, later in life, early, early 30s, late 20s, that I just, I wanted... I wanted answers and no doctor would give me an ADHD diagnosis, but they would just give me every medication under the sun. And these medications just never helped. So I just kept seeking solutions. I wasn't looking for an ADHD diagnosis. I just wanted a better solution. I just, I didn't want to just take pills for no reason. Yeah. yeah no, that makes sense. And are you still under medication now? I'm not. No. How? What, what's changed? So I think I found that with very, very, um, very intentional lifestyle management, I can really minimize some of the ADHD habits that have been um, holding me back at work. Okay. Would you like to share a bit more on that? Yeah, I think I, I found a way to really ease distractions. My job is 100% remote and I work from home. So when I work from home, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, working at home is too distracting. For me, it's actually removes a lot of the negative distractions. I hate commuting to work. I don't like being bothered by coworkers. I don't like excessive office noise. I don't like, you know, just all the distractions of being at the office. So working from home in a very comfortable, familiar space reduces that a lot for me. Okay. Is there anything else you do on a daily basis to reduce your, like the impact ADHD? Yeah, I have a schedule that's on my terms also. So when I'm at companies, I have like, an intense amount of meetings, you know, just meetings all day is terrible for my ADHD. Since I have a lot of flexibility when I book my meetings, I have a block of time that I know, I know my attention span is terrible in the morning. I know it's better, you know, right after lunch and it's better in the, the evening, right after dinner. So I would try to do most of my meetings during sometime in the afternoon in which I know my attention span will be there. And I will bucket my task in ways that you know, work with my attention span. And then also like I will give myself breaks. So since I work from home, I have the latitude to like nap midday if I really want to. Mm -hmm. And maybe that seems lazy, but if I take a 30 minute lap, nap for lunch, then my mood and my attention is much better in the afternoon. Oh, and that's incredible. The, the benefits of working from home uh, and especially through this podcast, I'm realizing that flexible working when you have a health condition is something that really helps in many ways and in different ways depending on the condition so yes. 
but it feels like you know yourself very well as well, which must help a lot with knowing when it's best for you to do certain tasks. Is that yes? Yeah, assumption? Yeah, I think I've grown to be more honest with myself. You know, and I know that I have to, I have to find the conditions that make myself the most comfortable because with a lot of people for ADHD, it's, you need a lot of resilience because you're consistently fighting your attention span. You're, you're fighting what you want to pay attention to with what you need to pay attention to. Like, you know, I want to maybe eat cookies and watch TV all day, but what I actually need to do is work. So but I find that I'm the most resilient when, when I'm comfortable, when I'm not stressed out and when, when I'm well rested. So finding conditions, including working at home, which allow this really helps me, you know, circumvent a lot of my ADHD. Very interesting. Um, how like how does this podcast, for example, like taking part in, in in this podcast, this interview, is it something that takes your attention or not? I think it does because it's it's more engaging to have a one on one conversation. I think the nature of work in the corporate environment is it's not very engaging, right? It's not very, it's not personal. There's no conversations. It's just your endless task. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of meetings are. Well, first of all, there's so many people, not a, a full hour of meeting is something that's necessarily interesting for you. Uh, so yeah, I completely get what you mean. So when we were talking about um, recording this episode, you also mentioned that you have depression. And I think it might be interesting to also uh, talk about uh, how depression impacts you. But before we go into that, do you think there's any link between having ADHD and uh, being depressed? Yeah, I think so. My depression isn't because of my ADHD, but my ADHD definitely makes it worse. You know, I think with AD people with ADHD can be overthinkers. You tend to hyper-focus on stuff, whether it's good or bad. So if you're depressed, you can really, really hyper-focus -fo on negative feedback loops which you know, I, I definitely do. Um, I'm depressed because I had a terrible childhood. And, you know, during my less happy moments with ADHD, I just think about that over and over and again. I hyper fixate on maybe bad memories or bad feelings. And then that just kind of sends a negative feedback loop to you notice more negative things in your everyday. And then you'll hyper fixate on that too. So whether or not I was depressed, I'd always have ADHD. But having ADHD has made any depression I've ever had worse. Okay. And how did you or when did you realize that you have depression? Um, oh, pretty early in my life. I had, I think, my young 20s. So, you know, when I went to the doctor for ADHD, half the time I was actually going for depression. And I said, you know, I feel so depressed. And then in my 30s, I said, I think it's because I have ADHD. And they said, no, 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 you don't have ADHD. You're just depressed. You know, people who are successful don't have ADHD. So they gave me depression medications. They gave me bipolar medications. They gave me like medications for everything except for ADHD. Nothing really worked. Um, then one of my doctors later said, you know, do you think you have ADHD? And I said, you know, I, I've strongly thought this for such a long time, but most therapists are convinced I only have depression because I'm successful in life. And he said, you know, I think, I think your primary symptom is, or your primary problem is ADHD and you have depression, but your ADHD goes unmedicated and it makes your depression worse. Mm -hmm. And so we, we tackled the problem that way and it actually helped quite a bit. 
And are you still under uh, medication for depression? No, because I just find that the, you know, the cure is always worse than the poison. Uh, what do you mean by that? With every medication, I've always felt the the side effects of the medication were just unmanageable. You know, they either, a lot of medications make you very, very sleepy, or they make you very, like, anhedonic. And you didn't like that? No, I didn't like it. Does exercising then, or the routine you described earlier, does that help with depression at all? Yeah, exercising helps. Having community helps. Even though I don't love working out as much as I used to, I still go to the gym because that's my positive daily social interaction. I know everyone at this gym now. I've been going so long. So community helps. Um, feeling well-rested and comfortable helps. Having a sense of agency, feeling like you're in control of your like life and your situation really helps. So working from home has allowed a lot of this. Okay. How does uh, depression affect you? So do you have up and downs? Does it yeah, impact I mean, you? mostly downs. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll have days where I can't get out of bed. I haven't had much motivation, quite frankly, since the pandemic. My motivation just hasn't returned. Um, a lot of it is just, you know, a sense of like malaise or like, not even cynicism, just a lack of excitement for like the present tense and the future. Even when you do something that you enjoy? Yes. Yeah. Is this where the link with ADHD is as well? Because you, you described earlier that something that does not grab your attention is not interesting. Yeah, I think so. I think like the lack of excitement and the overthinking, you know, both kind of make the depression a little worse. Is there any way you could describe what you mean by overthinking? Mm, I think a lot of people don't tend to dwell on negative thoughts. You know, but if um if I'm bored, I will think, oh, I'm bored over and over again. Oh, I'm bored or I'm not doing anything with my life. And then I'll think, you know, the thoughts become bigger and bigger. I'm not doing anything with my life. Oh, I'm wasting my life. Oh, I'm just wasting away. You know, how disappointing, so on and so forth. Okay. And do you have any mechanisms to get out of that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from years of therapy, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to ground myself and then revert the thoughts to something in a more positive direction. And then maybe just gently remind myself, I don't need to be thinking about these negative things. But, you know, I think there are just moments where it's harder to do that. Well, yeah, completely see what you mean. How How was it then... Breaking world records through that weightlifting. Like if anything could get me on depression, it was that. But that was that was short lived. You know, I mean, I it was it was the most incredible experience of my life. But it doesn't cure depression, that's for sure. No, and that that's exactly where I was going actually, because I, I assume there's a there's a high of like achieving something so incredible. But then is there a, a, a risk of a low after that? Yeah, there definitely was. You know, I think there was a first, there was like the, oh, the high doesn't last forever. So after maybe a few weeks, few months, whatever, you're, you're back to your baseline. And then it's like, well, now what? If, if this feeling doesn't, if breaking a world record doesn't make euphoria stay forever, is there anything that will? So... How do you then like 
look into the future? What do you see in the in the future for you? I mean, I see a depressed person with depression living with ADHD and depression. But, you know, I mean, I think the folly here is to think that pills or anything will cure anything. You know, you don't cure depression. You don't cure ADHD. You just manage it and you learn to live with it. Yeah. Well, is there anything that excites you about the future? Anything no. that you think you want to achieve? No, not really. Uh, and how about work then? How do you manage, especially you, you mentioned that you have a team, so like setting goals, for example, and and working towards some objectives together with your team. How, how is that something that is easy for you to do or not? Yeah, I think... I think you can still manufacture hard work, right? You can say, I, I may not feel happiness in doing work, but I can still tell myself my goal is to do a good job. And if that's my goal, then I know how to do a good job. Is it a long-term goal or is it something that you have to remind yourself about? Both. I mean, there's, the long-term goal is to do a good job in my role. And then the mm -hmm. short-term goal is to do a good job every day or on the project. So work takes a more you know, unemotional view. So you just look at it objectively. Like, well, if I'm to be a good clinical research director, how, how would one be that? If mm -hmm. I was to do a good job on this project, how would one do that? And are there any days where you can't face work and, and you just have to take the time off? Much less these days, which is nice. I think working from home has actually helped that because there are days when I just feel absolutely terrible and I don't leave the bed. And I tell myself, well, You know, today I don't have any meetings, so I can leave my bed a little later and then I can just work a little later. You know, I'll just take my time slowly getting to work until, until I feel more ready for it. Okay. And, and does that work? So do you then reach a point where you feel like you, you can work? Yeah, normally it does. You know, I think there are some days I feel so bad that even when I slowly get out of bed and I slowly open my work computer, I may not feel ready to do the best job, but I can get enough work done that I feel like it wasn't a waste. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I assume like we all have days where we don't feel like we're achieving as much as other days, uh, but it sounds like in your case it could be heightened. Well, that's been really interesting, and I'm trying to, to really understand Uh, how you feel, how it affects you, but in a way it feels like this is very personal to you, but that at the same time you have built some mechanisms to really help yourself still achieve what you want during your day. Yeah, that... I mean, I don't know how ADHD manifests for other people, so I can only speak for myself, but, you know, yeah, and... I also think the ADHD for me has really greatly changed over time. The, the more I know myself, the, the more it's changed. You know, when I was younger, it was what's fun. I can only do what's fun. I can only do what's interesting. I can't do anything else. I think now my tools for, for bargaining with myself are much better. Okay. So kind of you've grown into your, like understanding yourself more and then yeah. defining tools that help you. Yeah, like I'm, I'm much better at undermining my own ADHD now. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I think that that's probably all we've got time for today. Um, 
yeah, it's been incredibly interesting, and I, I hope people who have uh, HDHD can can also relate to what you've said. Um, I always like finishing with the same question to everyone. Uh, what is your happy place, a place where you feel at peace? Hmm, that's interesting. You know, I would say 10 years ago, I'd say the gym. I would say when I'm lifting alone and I'm working on a really difficult lift, that's when I felt the most at peace. But these days, I don't know. Actually, I think it's um, I think it's whenever I'm alone, somewhere comfortable. That's probably when I feel at peace, when I'm somewhere distraction-free. And when I can finally get my own attention, then that's when I feel the most comfortable. Um, can that be anywhere or is it usually at home, for example? I think it can be anywhere my mind is comfortable. But, you know, I think people don't realize with ADHD, that can be such a challenge. It's anywhere I can quiet my mind, which, you know, you would think that could be anywhere where you're alone, but it's not always the case. Yeah, no, no, I get that. Well, thank you very much, Emily. Uh, it's been really nice talking to you. And I really appreciate you sharing on, on the podcast. Uh, so, thank yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. Great.